I was reading an article recently about children and reading, and it was fascinating because it uh, tells about children actually preferring books, a paper book. You remember what those are, right? You open it up. Uh, versus the digital, digital version of the book. Uh, and with kids as wired uh, to social media and digital devices as they are, they still prefer to have a real book in their hands. And uh, one of the things that has been going on is uh, there's a, a book out, My Very Own Name, and it's just one of many examples of personalized books for children to where you can have your child's name put inside of the book so that as you're reading the story to them or as they are able to read it for themselves, then they find their own name in there. And some of them will even put a birth date or whatever else in there. And it's such uh, an exciting thing for kids because kids are finding themselves in the story. And it draws them in even more and they want to learn more and more. What we have heard from David today, what we've heard in this this second Samuel text, is how David finds himself in the story. This is an amazing story. It's one that uh, has birthed a lot of cultural expressions uh, the phrase, you are that man, and, and some of the other phrases that are in there or just in referring to someone as being a Nathan. It is referring to uh, this beautiful and powerful story about David and about a very ugly, terrible part of his life. Just to recap, realizing that not everybody is here every Sunday, uh, although uh, that's always a good goal to shoot for, we have been looking at the life of David uh, throughout the summer. We've been looking in 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel. And uh, we went from realizing uh, the story about David becoming king or Samuel going to him and picking him out from all of his seven brothers. Uh, he was the shortest. He was the youngest. He was the weakest. And yet God said, I want you to pick him Uh, over all these others. And so then David, we looked at the next week, David goes and battles Goliath and he, you know, is this short, young, uh, ruddy boy who goes against this giant of a man um, as he goes up against Goliath and he wins. And so he becomes overnight the hero of his people. And then we looked at uh, David and his walking in the ark of the Lord and his dancing as he dances with all of his might before God and clothes start falling off. He's dancing. He's so excited and he um, celebrates what, what God has done in his life and what God is about to do. So we see all of this and we love to hear that part of David's life. And then last week we looked at this text, which was very disturbing where David uh, looks out the window, he sees Bathsheba, decides that he wants to have her as his own. Even though she's married, even though he's married, he has uh, several wives, he decides that he wants to, uh, to take her for himself. And so we see uh, where this rape takes place. And then we see where uh, the consequences, the cover-up, I was watching uh, the news yesterday about uh, Deflate Gate, and there was a little clip on there how the, uh, the the problem was not so much letting air out of the footballs; it was the cover-up, right? 
It's covering up that always seems to make things worse. You can't cover up sin, at least for very long, right? And that's what David was doing. David had orchestrated this murder. Not only had he um, committed this sexual violence, he had engaged in murder and covering up all of his tracks. But what we see here in the text today is that it didn't stay covered very long. And so Nathan decides that he is, and again, Nathan is a prophet. Nathan decides that um, he is going to obey what God has told him to do, that he needs to go and confront David about his sin. David is in all kinds of denial. Uh, Not only has he done all of this sin, but again, he's covering it up, not only to keep others from seeing, but just like you and me, would do. He's covering it up in his own life, right? Uh, He is compartmentalizing what he has done. He's pushing it aside. And so Nathan comes to him as the prophet of God with the word of God. And he, uh, somewhere along the way, as he is going from his prayer time with God to meet with David, he's thinking, how am I going to do this? I mean, we don't get a lot of detail about this here, but I'm sure he's having this conversation with God. God, this is too much. You want me to go and confront the king about what he has done? What's to keep him from murdering me? What's to keep him from from covering me up in all of this and just making me disappear? Because he certainly has that power. But along the way, he starts to, to think and God works in his life and he takes his gifts and his abilities and his prophetic call and uses those things to accomplish what God wants to accomplish. And so he goes to David and he begins to tell him a story. You know, everybody loves stories, right? It's not just children. We have some uh, teachers. Well, we have teachers all over, but I'm looking at three right here on the front row. Uh, And if Evelyn's out at a um, family reunion... Uh, she loves to teach people to read, loves to read, uh, see candy back there. We have a lot of teachers in that age range who love to share stories. We never get past that, do we? We love to hear stories, and, and we have a story-shaped soul, don't we? And so David uh, has this as well, and Nathan goes to him and he says, okay, I'm going to tell him a story. And so David is probably, you know, he's got his feet kicked up. And you can kind of see in this Rembrandt sketch, he's leaning in to the story, right? He's like, hmm, this sounds like a great story. So there's this, uh, this guy who is poor, doesn't have much, but he does have a ewe. You know, he has this, uh, this little lamb and he uh, nurtures it like it's his very uh, own, like we would do with a cat. Well, maybe not a cat. Well, we, sorry, Debbie. What we, what we would do with a little puppy or what we would do with any pet. He keeps it for him, himself and he, he uh, takes it with him wherever he goes and embraces it. And it's just this wonderful thing. And then you have this rich guy who has, you know, this whole herd. And he keeps up with them and his whole flock. And um, whenever somebody comes to his house, this traveler comes in. And back then they had such great hospitality. If any stranger came and uh, was traveling through, you would give them lodging and you would give them a meal and you would take care of them. And so he decides, well, I don't want to give up one of my flock. 
I saw that strange guy carrying around his lamb that looked like a pretty good lamb. So go and get his and take his and we'll kill it and feed it to this guy. And so that's what he does. And so Nathan is telling this story to David and he sees David's face getting red. And he sees the the look on his face going from this is a great story to anger. How dare this man do this? He has all of these sheep and he goes and gets one from someone who has no more sheep and kills it. He deserves some consequences. He deserves judgment. He needs to be held accountable for his actions. How could anybody do that? And Nathan says, David, you are that man. In the uh, next image that you see here, you see a finger that is being pointed. And I've tried to envision this. I've been thinking about it all week. I, I don't know if he said, you are that man. Or if he just said, you are that man, David. And David feels the weight of conviction. David begins to understand where he is in that story. He finds his place there. And you see all of this uh, conviction coming upon him. Even David, who has done all of these terrible things, and uh, he has taken someone's life, he has taken things that don't belong to him, he has violated people. Even in the midst of all of that, there is still that heart for God. Somewhere buried deep beneath all of that sin, David begins to listen. He finds the conviction and the judgment of God in the midst of that story. And you can look at his words there, and you can look at at what takes place there, and really at the very end of it all, as he he says this, that... uh, I have sinned against the Lord, he says to David. Now the Lord has put away your sin, Nathan says to David. You shall not die. Nevertheless, because by this deed you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child that is born to you shall die. And then Nathan went away to his house. We find that there are consequences. There are all kinds of consequences that will come into David's life because of his sin. Some, I am sure, that came at the hand of God. Some that were just interpreted uh, by David or by others as being the result of his actions. And it's a very sad story. But there is something there for us to hear today, is there not? We have different ways of hearing from God. And there are people that come into our lives, much like Nathan came into uh, David's life and spoke truth to him. And there is this, uh, this way that God will continue to work in our lives because God never gives up on us. God recognizes that we are sinners and sometimes we don't recognize that, do we? Or we start to recognize that and we know uh, our moral compass or the conviction of sin, uh, God's Holy Spirit working in our lives. We recognize that we've done something wrong and we don't want to deal with it and so we cover it up. We all have some pretty good schemes, don't we? 
We can bury things. We can push things down inside of us. We can justify our sins. I'm sure David probably was thinking, well, you know, I am king and I've got all these people that I'm caring for. And, uh, you know, really, she belongs to me. Bathsheba belonged to me. She's part of my kingdom and so I can have whatever I want. Before we judge David for doing some of that, we need to see how we do that as well. We look around us and we think, I can have this and I can have that and this belongs to me. And even if it doesn't, it ought to belong to me and I'll do whatever it takes to get that and possess it. And God points out to us the error of our ways. Maybe that comes at church. Maybe, I don't know, maybe right now. There, there's something that you're thinking about. There's something that comes to mind. And you feel the weight of that conviction. And by the way, there's a difference between guilt and conviction or condemnation and conviction, right? My youth minister, as I was growing up, always said that, you know, the devil condemns, God convicts. There is a lot of unhealthy baggage that goes with uh, the condemnation that we give to ourselves, but also that we put on other people. We love to put it on other people, don't we? Not in the way of Nathan. Nathan was doing it uh, as an agent of God, as an ambassador of God, going and sharing something that needed to be shared. And sometimes you are asked to do that. Sometimes I'm asked to do that. And sometimes God asks for people to do that to us. But there's a difference there in doing it to ourselves and doing it to other people. But God will do it. He will put a person or He'll put an event. He'll put a circumstance. um, He'll put a song. uh, The songs that we sang here this morning, uh, Amazing Grace. You know that part about a wretch? A wretch like me. And we realize that once I was lost, but now I'm found. Once I was blind, but now I see. And we see ourselves in the midst of the story. Whether we're willing to see it or not, God will make sure that we hear it. And it is up to us to do something with that. It is up to us to say, yes, I am that man. Yes, I am that woman. I have treated other people in a sinful way, or I have treated you, God, in a sinful way. And I cannot dodge my sin any longer. Psalm 51 is a great um, response that David gives to God. We don't have time to look at that this morning, but I hope that you will go and look at that. It is David's confession to God. It is David's uh, pleading with God. Don't take your spirit from me, O God. I, I know that I have sinned and and my heart is sick, it is sinful, but I ask you to come in and and to create in me a clean heart. Create in me a brand new, clean heart, as white as snow. And we need to say that to God as well. And that is what we will be doing here in our time of communion. It is not only recognizing God's presence here with us, it is asking for God to cleanse us of that sin that is in our lives. Realizing we all have it. We all have fallen short of the glory of God. And Scripture says if we say that we haven't, we 
make ourselves out to be a liar. We make God out to be a liar. So we're all in the same boat this morning and we all come together recognizing that we are in need of God's grace. You don't see much grace as you continue to look there in David's life. But as we are on this side of Jesus Christ coming into the world, we have no excuse but to see the grace of God. The grace of God that was displayed for us in Jesus Christ. Jesus came to show us mercy and love and what it looks like to be reconciled to God. In, uh, first, uh, in Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7, Paul says it this way, In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace that He has lavished on us. As I was uh, looking at some social media this past week, um, I noticed there was a story about tattoos. And by the way, I'm not going to judge anyone for having a tattoo. I really want one. But Jenny, um, just like wanting to uh, have a motorcycle, just says no. Where the judge can see it, okay, or can't see it, right? Um, but I, uh, I was looking at some of the data that's out there, and uh, I believe 14% of Americans have at least one tattoo, right? 14%, 11% of Americans want to remove that tattoo. <laughs> so there's a business out called Vamoose, and it has been highly successful at tattoo removal, especially for people who work in places where they're not allowed. And if you have them on your arms or on your face uh, or somewhere else that's visible, then if you want to have that job, you've got to have your tattoo removed. And so there are all kinds of people, 11% of people who are looking to have that tattoo removed. But what they find is it's not easy to do that. You can't just rub it off with sandpaper. You can't just wash it off with soap and water. You can't do that. But Vamoose can do that. And they have a process, and it's about 14 visits or 11 visits, and, and they will go through and begin to break down all of that ink that is in you. And they can, uh, over time, break it down to the point where it goes in, back into your system, through your immune system, and it, it erases all of that ink and gets it out of your system. So I was thinking about that story. I was thinking about this text today. And I was thinking about communion and thinking about what it means to have something removed from us, something like our sin. That we can do all kinds of things to try to get rid of it. That we can try to cover it up and put things on it and, and take uh, all of our efforts and our works and things to try to remove the sins from our lives. And we cannot do that. Only God can do that. And God has given Jesus Christ to us that we might have the forgiveness of sins and reconciliation with God. As we prepare to take communion this morning, may we experience that forgiveness. It is for all of us. And so let us enjoy. Let us pray.
God loves you with His heart. God has the ability to cleanse your heart and to make it pure and right. No matter where you've been, what you've done with your heart, I hope that you will allow God to have it as you go into this next week.